0: For our study in God's Word this morning, I would like for you to turn with me uh, beginning in Acts chapter 7. So, would you take your Bibles, uh, Acts chapter 7, and then verse 9? We'll get there in just a moment. But I want to begin by asking this question What is the greatest tragedy of all? What is the greatest tragedy of all? Let me submit to you that the greatest tragedy of all is to come to your deathbed, you're ready to die, and then to discover that you never lived. Now, by that, I'm not saying you didn't have life, that you didn't exist, but I'm just saying you come to that point and realize you really didn't live because Jesus said in John chapter 10 and in verse 10, that he had come that man may have life and to have it more abundantly. So it's more than just having life. It's more than just existing. The Lord wants us to have a life where he is blessing, and not only is he blessing, but we're living out the very life he intended for us to live. Isn't it interesting that there are some people who are born with so little But they accomplish so much, and then there are others who are born with so much, and they accomplish so little. Well, what makes the difference? Well, I believe that in many cases, and probably in most cases, is simply because of whether or not God is with them or not. So, here in Acts chapter seven, Stephen is given an account of his defense to the council of Israel, the spiritual leadership of Israel, of why he believed that Christ, that, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, and why he was given his life to him, why they needed to embrace him as well as the Messiah. And part of his defense, he simply says this, about one man from the Old Testament, whose name was Joseph. Many of you know the story of Joseph, maybe not everybody does. But listen to what he says in this one verse about this man, Joseph. He begins and he says, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph. Now, the patriarchs in this context is going to be uh, Joseph's ten older brothers. And so it says that his ten older brothers uh, became jealous of Joseph, and in the result of that, they sold him into Egypt. But watch the last phrase here in this verse. But yet God was with him. God was with him. Now Understand that this phrase is not simply talking about the omnipresence of God. We know that God is omnipresent. That is, there's no place you can ever be that God is not there. And so in that sense, we could always talk about the fact that God is with us. But that's not what Stephen was talking about. And when you read the story of Joseph, this phrase keeps coming up in his life, and God was with him, and God was with him, and God was with him. Now, what he means by that is that God was personally, listen carefully to this, directly and decidedly uh, involved in Joseph's life. There's another phrase used throughout Scripture to say the same thing, and God's hand of favor was with him. God's hand of favor. So, when he says that God was with him, he was simply saying or, or, or importantly saying that God was directly and decisively, personally involved in Joseph's life. Wouldn't it be great, think about this with me, would it not be great to get up tomorrow morning, let us say tomorrow morning, and know that as you live out tomorrow that God is with you. Now, more than the fact that He's omnipresent, and you can never be out of his presence. Not that, but his hand of favor would be with you. You wake up tomorrow morning, and as you start the new day, you know that the Lord is personally, directly, decisively involved in your life throughout that day. What an incredible way to live our lives. Well, what I'd like to do this morning is move from Acts chapter 7, verse 9. That was our uh, jump off place. And I want you to turn with me to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 37. And here in Genesis chapter 37, we have the beginning of the story of Joseph. And I want to look at just a few parts of his story, which, by the way, takes up 25% of the whole book of Genesis. But I just want to look at a few things here and share with you four principles. Listen to me carefully. Four principles of living your life that involves God being with you. That is his hand of favor Upon you, him being personally, directly, decisively involved in your life. So let's look at it together. And the first principle is simply this, and it'll come up on the screen for you. We need to exhibit, exhibit your God given difference. Exhibit your God-given difference, and so let me explain that. Let's begin right here in Genesis chapter 37. I want to read the first four verses. I'll have to give you some explanation here, and then we'll make the application. So here's what he says. Beginning in verse one, it says, "Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had lived as a stranger in the land of Canaan, and these are the records of the generations of Jacob." So he says, Joseph when he was 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, which was the other name that God gave to Jacob, so Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all the other sons because... He was the son of his old age, and he made him a multicolored tunic. Some of your translations says coat. And many of you remember that story that you have heard before. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him, and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, let's look at a couple of things, just make some clarification here. When you read this on the surface, it sounds like Joseph was a taddler. It says that he came back and gave a bad report to his fathers about what his other 10 older brothers were doing. So, it, you know, the surface sounds like, well, he's just a tattler. No, he was a truth bearer. Because here's what you need to know about his 10 other older brothers. They were very ungodly guys. They had ungodly attitudes, they chose to involve themselves in ungodly activities. They took ungodly actions against other ungodly people that were in their life. These were, these were a bunch of rebel rousers. I can tell you that when you read it in the previous chapters and you begin to get a, uh, an understanding, a picture, and they were in charge of the family business. And so it was very important for Jacob or Israel, whichever name you want to use at this time, to know what was going on in their lives because it was going to uh, affect the whole family as a whole. So it wasn't really a a tattler, it was a truth bearer. It needed to be made known. Then you look a little bit deeper and you see that uh, not only does it appear that, that Joseph was a tattler, but it appears that Jacob played favorites. I mean, it just says it here. Verse three, now Israel, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a multicolored tunic. So it does come across pretty clear here that that Jacob was showing favors. That's not a wise thing to do uh, in most occasions, but again, let me just help you understand a little bit about actually what is being said here. Would you look at that phrase with me where it says that he was the son of his old age. Now truly, Jacob at this time was 91, so we get the old age part right, okay? But this phrase in the Hebrew and in the Eastern culture does not mean what it appears to mean to us in the English and in a Western culture. Literally, is an idiom that was used to speak of the fact that Joseph was a wise man, that Joseph was a man of character and a man of integrity. So what's my point? He was incredibly different. What are we talking about here? The principle of exhibiting our God given difference. If you were to put Joseph's life here and put the other 10 brothers here, it's his differences day and night. He lived an incredibly different life than his ungodly brothers. So what's the point? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. When a person accepts Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, The scripture says they become new creations. Paul writes it this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, behold, new things come. What does that mean? You're not the same person. Jesus described it this way. You must... Be born again. What's he talking about? There's going to be a, a change in your life. There, you're going to have a new set of attitudes that's going to drive your life. You're going to have a new set of activities that you're going to involve in and activities you're no longer going to involve yourself in. You're going to have an incredibly new approach to life itself. words, it's different. And it needs to be seen as different. They need to know that something has happened in your life and you are a brand new creation uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we choose to live that way, how does the world respond to us? Just like those older brothers. The world hates us. You okay? If you live differently if you live with a, a different set of attitudes that the worldly the ungodly world out there has if, if, you, ha- if you involve yourselves in, in different activities than what the ungodly world is involving themselves in if you have a whole different approach to life because you want to glorify and exalt the one who's just so wonderfully saved you and changed your life this world is going to hate you just like those brothers Hated Joseph, and it wasn't so much that that uh, yeah it was jealousy because Jacob was showing favor. Really, was what instead of showing favor, what he was doing is he was acknowledging, man, I need this guy to oversee the family business. That's what that coat of many colors was all about. It was about receiving that which is visible that he now would be. Over the family business. Now it says he was 17 years old. Put it in our culture today, that'd be somewhere, uh, somebody around 23, 25 years of age. And now he has been put in that position because why? He is wise. He is a man of integrity. He is a man of character. But let me show you something. Won't you look with me also in Romans chapter 12? and in verse 2. Just want to look at the very first part of verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. Listen to what Paul says. He says, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, he is challenging us, charging us, instructing us, do not let the world put you into their mold. And this is exactly what the world wants to do with us who are followers of Christ. You see, our lives, if we are exhibiting our God-given difference, we've been born again, different attitudes, different activities, different actions, different approach to life, that makes their life stand out like a black spot on a white sheet. You can't miss it. So... How do you cover up a black spot on a white sheet? You dye the white sheet black, right? <laughs> it disappears. Well, that's what the world is trying to do to us even now. What, that is exactly what the liberal politicians and the liberal media and the woke people are simply trying to do in our lives now. They're trying to use political power they're trying to use personal verbal attacks and persecution even to try to force us into their mode, try to force us to accept their attitudes and their activities and their uh, actions and their approach to life, and they want us to be a part of it. And when we choose to exhibit our God-given difference, they don't like us. And they're not afraid to tell us. Do I have a witness on that? Hey, you know, if you have any questions on that, just, just watch the news. Just listen to some of that stuff, right? But when we choose, here's the point. When we choose to exhibit, that is live our lives with the new attitudes that we have in Jesus... And the new activities that's now part of our lives because we want to just please the Lord. And our whole approach is trust and faith and following the truth of the word of God. God will be with you. God will be personally involved in your life. God will be directly and decisively involved in your life. His hand of favor will be with you just like it was with Joseph. Well, I want you to notice the second thing because all of this fits together. Not only do we need to exhibit our God-given difference, but we need to explore our God-given dreams. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. Let's go back to Genesis to our text here in Genesis chapter 37, and let's just pick up the story with verse 5. It says, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaves stood up, and also remained standing. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaves. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? Now, if you know the rest of the story, the answer to those questions was yes. But then it goes on to say, so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his works. Now, I really need you to listen carefully. When I'm talking about dreams, I'm not talking about my dreams. I'm not talking about, you know, the the key phrase is God-given dreams, right? Not my dreams. I've had all kinds of dreams in my life. As I shared with him in the early service, when I finished high school and I had signed that scholarship, Uh, to play football for the University of South Carolina. I had all kinds of dreams. It didn't take long when that 300-pound guard, offensive guard could run faster than me, that those dreams were shattered immediately. Right? Like, why am I here? Okay? I'm talking about God-given dreams. Okay? So let me put it this way. When I talk about dreams, I'm talking about Living your life in the will of God. Now, just follow me Living your life in the will of God. Living out the plans and purposes he has for you. And there's not a single one right here or on the face of this earth, to be perfectly honest with you, that God doesn't have a will for their life and he has plans and he has purposes and he wants to be directly and decisively involved in leading you through living out his will, those plans and purposes in our life. He wants his hand of favor upon us. So, notice again, back in Romans chapter 12, I want to go back to that same verse so I can articulate what I'm trying to get across this morning. Verse 2, I want you to notice a very clear pattern here of what he is teaching when it comes to the will of God for your life. Certainly, you would want to know the will of God. You would want to know what his incredible plans and purposes for your life. So here's what he's saying. Look at this whole verse with me. He begins by saying, do not be conformed to this world. Do not allow it to pressure you, force you into its mode, even though there's so many, quote, unquote, church-going people and those who profess Christ who are surrendering to that left and right. Don't do that. But then he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Now, those you've been a part of our fellowship for a number of years know, probably know what that word transform means because we did a church-wide eight-week study on this one verse, right? It's where we get our English word, metamorphosis. And you know, the, the perfect picture of metamorphosis, of course, is the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. In other words, this worm was not destined to be a worm all this life. There was going to be a transformation. There was going to be a metamorphosis take place in this worm's life where eventually he, it, becomes a butterfly. Here's the point. When you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, a spiritual metamorphosis began in your life. The Lord is, is bringing about a transformation. He's changing you constantly. He is working. This is his will. This is number one will in your life. Let me just put it that way. It's for him to transform you, to take you through a spiritual metamorphosis where you're not just a babe in Christ. You become this incredible follower of Christ that glorifies and exalts the Lord just because of the way we live, the attitudes we have, the activities we choose to be involved in or choose not to be involved in, our whole approach to life. And then notice what happens when we are, listen, when we are in step with God in this. Let's read the rest of the verse. So that, oh, here's the end result. So that you might prove, listen to this, that you may prove, what does that mean? Know, understand, come to have knowledge of, that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see the pattern. We choose to exhibit our God-given difference. We're gonna live our lives for the Lord because we now belong to him. We got a different set of attitudes, activities, actions, approach to life. And so we are sold out in living out, to exhibiting this God-given difference. So, God is with us. His hand of favor is upon us. And his number one will, his number one work in our life is to continually transform us, bring us through this spiritual metamorphosis, making us more and more like Christ, and in the process, reveal to us his will. So, let me put it this way. We do not find God's will. God's will finds us. So many people are struggling. They say, oh, I need to know God's will for my life. I need to know what this master plan is for my life. And they get so absorbed with that and they, they always come up empty-handed because they're trying to find God's will. And God says, my will is to get in step with me in the spiritual metamorphosis and I will reveal that, my will, to you. He's the initiator. We're the followers. How many times do you read in scripture says, wait upon the Lord? right? Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the, rest in him. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Relax. Right? Relax. Don't get stressed out trying to de- discover the will of God. Just relax, rest in the Lord. Let him orchestrate your life and you focus on staying in step with him during the spiritual metamorphosis take place and he'll make his will known to you. His will will find you. It's what happened in my life. How did I become a pastor? Started at 12 years of age. Sitting in that sanctuary right up there. Seventh pew piano song preacher, Louie Wynn, I have no idea what he was preaching on. But in my mind, I'm going to say it exactly the way I thought it, okay? Yeah, just want to be straight with you. My luck is that God's going to call me to preach. That is exactly what I thought. So why did you think like that? Because I am, and I was really bad then, I'm by nature an introvert. And I hated to be in front of people. <laughs> Scared me. Scared me to death to be in front of people or something. No, God, please, please, that's not what I want. So I set that aside. Get to the University of South Carolina. I get involved in FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. One of our responsibilities is go to high school, share testimony. Right? And then just st- stand around and they'd come up and ask questions, mostly about football. But if they asked anything about the Lord, we had the freedom to be able to share it, right? <sighs> comes back up in my heart, comes back up in my mind. Well, then I get married, Kathy and I get married and we, we're living right here in God's country called Wareplace, South Carolina, still God's country. And I am part-time youth director here while I am working for Harco Incorporated in Greenville. Linda house settler, theres no window, helped me get that position there, Harco. And so God keeps bringing it back up. Now my focus is I'm just trying to grow up, you know, uh, grow up as a brand new husband, you know, all of those things. I grow up spiritually, and then one Sunday, sitting in the choir in that sanctuary, in one of those roads where when the choir did not go down, so you had to stay up there in the choir loft, you know, with the robes on burning up, God said, Now. Now. Cassie did not know. She's looking at me now. Now's the time. So I go forward and I tell Preacher Ellenberg, God's called me to preach. He said, I know. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Right? You see, it was progressive. Let me give you an incredible verse. This will help you. Let me give you Proverbs chapter 4. Oh, I love this verse. God has helped me so much with this. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18. Now listen to this. Solomon writes, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until a full day. Now, the path here, what's he talking about? He's talking about our lives, the living of our lives. Our journey of faith. Can I put it that way? If you're interested in learning about that, we're doing a great study on Wednesday on Abraham. It's called the Journey, His Journey of Faith. Now. The righteous are those who have accepted Christ in our context for today. So it says the living of the life of those who have accepted Christ is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Now, I don't know what time you get up. Our alarm goes off at 540 AM. That doesn't mean we're getting up. That means it's medicine time, okay? (laughs) But you know what, it's dark. When's the darkest time of the day? Right before dawn, right? Okay. But then dawn comes. A little bit of light. You can see just a little bit, right? But as the sun rises, it's more light and it's more light and and now Wow, full-blown day, sun at noon, and everything can be seen. That's how God reveals his will to us. If we're in step with him in the transformation, when we're in step with him in the transformation, then he gives you a little light. At the age of 12, oh no. My luck is God's going to call me to be, be a preacher, right? And then he gives a little bit more light and a little bit more light until you know, okay? It's the way God does Now, you need to understand something else. God's will is not like, always like Moses and Joseph, you know, this this, this big, awesome plan It's daily. You realize that God had a plan for you today? Every day. Jesus taught us how to live, right? So he said live one year at a time. No, no, that's not true. He didn't say that. No, he said live one season at a time. No, he didn't say that either. He said, How to live? Come on, I got some biblical scholars here. One day at a time, right? One day at a time. Why? Because that's where his plan begins, that's where his will begins. And so this is why I, and I'm going to ask them to do this again. I you write these three phrases down. They'll, they'll, they'll throw it up there right quick. Be alert. All right, write that down. Be alert, be available, be active. Okay, be alert, be available, be active. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. When you get up in tomorrow morning, God's got a plan for your life. It begins with you staying in step with him on the transformation. His plan for you tomorrow may just, that's it. You get up in the morning and say, I just want you to live all day, you know, just showing your God-given difference, just living for me. That, that's his will. That's the plan. But you might get up on Tuesday, and not only does he want you to continue to stay in step with this spiritual metamorphosis in your life, but he also, listen carefully, he also may have a divine appointment for you. It may be at the gas station. And there's someone putting this... I speak to say cheap gas, but it's not really cheap gas. It's just a little gas that costs a lot of money, right? And so somebody's on the other side of the pump, and you see their countenance, and they just know it's you know when you know, they they just need somebody to say something to them, a word of encouragement. Hey, how's it going? And maybe you get that chance to say, hey, let me tell you how. Lord helps me in life. Just a little, little five-minute thing. That's the plan. God may be using you for that one day. He had them at the right place at the right time with you. So it may be a little five minute, it may be a witnessing opportunity. You don't know. But that's his plan. See, it's it's plural. It's plans and his purposes. And so it's daily and, then, and, and, and be available and be active. When that door opens up in front of you, just, just respond to it. Let God handle the rest of it. Sometimes it's seasonal, not just day, seasonal. Spent nine years, pastor of Unity Baptist Church. Season, nine years. Then the Lord called me back home here. When I came, I had no idea how long this was going to be. And the church that called me 32 years ago didn't know I'd be here 32 years later either. (laughs) But they've been very gracious, very kind through all of these years. But see, it's a season. I may have another season in my life. It's plans, purposes. I just stick with the spiritual metamorphosis and God orchestrates the rest of it. Relax, rest in the Lord, trusting in these things. Just be alert, be available, be active. Let me quickly give you the last two principles. This is very, very important. First of all, not only to exhibit your God-given differences, explore your God-given dreams, but thirdly, endure your god Given difficulties. Oh, I better explain that one. When I say God given, I don't mean that God causes them, but God in His sovereignty allows difficulties in our life. Just think about the story of Joseph. Wow. You know, God. God, Gave him a dream, gave him another dream that meant the same thing. And yeah, one day he was gonna reign, literally reign over his brothers, rule over his brothers, right? He didn't tell him how he's gonna get him there. Persecution, brothers hated him, roughed him up, threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery. But you know what the scripture says? God was with him. He got to Egypt, put in the slave auction, Bought by Potiphar. Well, who's Potiphar? Well, he's a guy in charge of keeping the Pharaoh protected. Where does that put Joseph? Pretty close to the palace. All right. So he deals with persecution, then with punitive slander. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. But see, Joseph has a different set of attitudes a different set of activities, a different approach to life. He wanted to remain pure. So he turns her down. She gets ticked off. And so then she slanders him uh, with her husband Potiphar, the one who owns him, saying, hey, he tried to assault me. So now he goes into prison. And what does the scripture say? And God (laughs) was with him. (laughs) Because everywhere he went, God's hand of favor. So when he was chosen by Potiphar, came to the point where Potiphar said, you got my whole house, so you take, you take care of it all. I trust you with everything. He gets thrown into prison, and the guy with the prison, because God is with him, his hand of favor is with him, and says, hey, will you take care of everything in the prison for me? Then he is personally forgotten. He helped a guy with a dream. The guy says, when I get out, I give a good word to the Pharaoh. No, he didn't even think about it. But scripture says God was with him. I just wonder sometimes if Joseph didn't say, what does that really mean, Lord? (laughs) So what happens? You know the story. He is promoted to second over all the nation empire of Egypt. Second, only to Pharaoh himself. Guess who bows before him? Yeah. Yeah, those older brothers. Yeah. So in Genesis fifty 20, they'll probably throw that up there. Let me just give it to you so I can get to the last one. Joseph looks at them and says, look, you meant it for evil. You hated me. You you roughed me up, you threw me in a pit, you sold me in slavery. You were trying to get rid, trying to cancel me. That was cancel culture several thousand years ago. He said, but God meant it for good. God was orchestrating this whole thing. You made the choice, but you can't override God. God overrides you. And he put me here to save Multitudes of lives. The corresponding verse in New Testament, Romans 8 28. So we exhibit our God given differences. We explore our God given dreams. We endure our God given difficulties. We close with this. We enlist our God given dynamic. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. As you know, you've heard me say it so many times. This is one of my life verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. All your ways, and, not, and he will make your path straight. Acknowledge him. What does that mean? Talk to him. everything communicate with him commune with him I say it all the time you're probably getting tired of hearing it but I want to say it again start with God and stay with God every morning start with God and stay with God talk to him through the day that's getting him directly involved Matthew chapter seven verses seven and eight: Asking you shall receive; seeking you shall find; knocking the door shall be open. For he who asks, they will receive; he who seeks, seeks they will find; he who knocks the door will be open. What well, he said: You have a responsibility, and that is to enlist your dynamic, your God-given dynamic, which is Him through prayer, through asking, to seeking. So here, let me close with this. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes in the spirit of prayer. Would you just block out everything else? Just block it all out. And just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. You've been struggling. Oh, if I could only know the will of God. Let the will of God find you And maybe his will right now is for you to be in step with him as he continues this spiritual metamorphosis in your life, transforming you into the image of his son, Jesus. And when you're in step with him, he'll make everything else known. He will orchestrate everything else in your life. And maybe that's what you need to do right now. And if you do, come and make the commitment to that. He may have spoken something else to you. You know, that's the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit of God is he just takes the word and he knows where you are, he knows where I am and he speaks a personal word to us. And maybe he's telling you to do something else. And if he is, be alert Be available, be active,